This episode is brought to you by Catan. This summer looks a bit different than most summers. We're staying at home for the most part, and we're finding ourselves looking for new activities to enjoy at home. Catan is a board game for three to four players, ages 10 and up, although younger kids can play with adult guidance. It is a great way to keep families engaged in off screens, even if it's just for a little while. And those opportunities are hard to come by. And it's really easy to pick up. Get Catan at CatanShop.com slash mom. Listeners of our podcast get 10% off the original base game Catan by using the promo code mom at checkout. Offer not good on other Catan titles or merchandise. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Hey, this is Bridget. And this is Emily. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. Today, like many of our episodes, we have a pretty big trigger warning. We're going to be discussing Aziz Ansari, Me Too, and the recent allegations of sexual misconduct against him. So if that's something that's tough for you to listen to, just know that's what today's episode is all about. Now, you may have noticed earlier this week, Babe.net, an online outlet, published new allegations against comedian Aziz Ansari basically accusing him of sexual misconduct toward a 23-year-old photographer they're calling Grace, a pseudonym, during a date. And if you've tweeted with me uh, at all this week, you know that I didn't want to touch this subject with a 10-foot pole, but y'all have demanded it, and we decided... Really, Bridget, you took the lead on this, that with great podcasting comes great responsibility. So we are wading in to the firestorm that followed that Babe.net publication. It was such a firestorm. I've seen debates all over social media. Honestly, it's been kind of surprising the amount of fervent takes I've seen surrounding this one allegation. Yeah, there's been a lot of vitriol spewed back and forth. A lot of people basically coming to Aziz's defense, saying that Grace was wrong to bring this up to begin with by ruining his career. I mean, there's been a lot of women arguing over whether or not this warranted the kind of expose that it, it got. And whether at the end of the day, the publication was at fault for really exploiting Grace's story because there was a celebrity name attached and what that really means for the hashtag MeToo movement. Exactly. So let's back up and break down exactly what's going on here. On January 13th, Babe.net reporter Katie Way published this viral story accusing Aziz of sexual misconduct during a September 2017 date with Grace. In this piece, Grace describes this as, quote, the worst night of her life. She says that Aziz moved her hand to his penis after she moved it away several times, put his fingers in her mouth after she physically moved away from him. She writes, it was 30 minutes of me getting up and moving and him following and sticking his fingers down my throat again. It was really repetitive. It felt like a game. According to the article, she, quote, used verbal and nonverbal cues to indicate how uncomfortable and distressed she was. Even telling him, quote, I don't want to feel forced because then I'll hate you and I'd rather not hate you. She felt pressured to give him oral sex. Quote, he sat back and pointed to his penis and motioned for me to go down on him. And I did. I think I just felt really pressured. It was literally the most unexpected thing I thought would happen at that moment because I told him I was uncomfortable. 
After expressing her discomfort, he multiple times bent her over, pressed his penis against her, and asked her, where do you want me to f*** you? And after he bent her over, she says, quote, I stood up and said, no, I don't think I'm ready to do this. I really don't think I'm going to do this. And he said, how about we just chill, but this time with our clothes on? So it was a sort of back and forth game, it felt like, of being chased. That's definitely how Grace describes it in this piece. Um, the next day, she says that he texted her saying, hey, it was nice to meet you. And she sent back, last night might have been fun for you, but it wasn't for me. You've ignored clear nonverbal cues. You kept going with advances. You had to have noticed I was uncomfortable. I want to make sure you're aware so maybe the next girl doesn't have to cry on the ride home. After getting this text, he replied with an apology. And honestly, I think we've all had dates like this. And that was what was so, I mean, beyond the celebrity name attached, I think that was what was so interesting about this piece that triggered a lot of women out there and and triggered a lot of people out there is that we can all point to a time when we've been pursued and a lot of men say, well, this is how, this is how you're supposed to have sex. Like you're supposed to pursue people doggedly. And I think that relatability struck me, but it also made a lot of women who spoke out against Grace feel like, Grace, get over yourself. Everybody has bad dates. Yeah, I was struck by this tweet by Sadie Doyle. She says, One thing I can say is that even men I trust and like have told me that they were socialized to believe that if a woman says no, you should test that boundary to make sure she really means it. That ideology lays the groundwork for this four-hour just-checking kind of assault. And so the question really is, is this a bad date? Is this something that we should all be expected to endure with dating and having sex? Is it sexual assault? Is it a sex crime? I think that her her story really raises all these kinds of questions, which are valid. So back to Grace's story, Grace says that it was her friends that helped her see what she had previously thought of as just a bad date or a night gone bad as sexual assault. In the piece, they write... Grace says her friends helped her grapple with the aftermath of her night with Aziz. It took a really long time for me to validate this as sexual assault, she told us. I was debating it as an awkward sexual experience or sexual assault. And that's why I confronted so many of my friends and listened to what they had to say, because I wanted the validation that it was actually not that bad. And this was all made more complicated on last Sunday when Aziz Ansari was up there at the Golden Globe speaking with his Time's Up pin. And the fact of the matter is, Aziz Ansari has a long public history of being an outspoken feminist. His book was one of my favorite reads a couple years ago, and I stand by that. I thought his body of work on that was excellent. It talked about the challenges and confusing landscape of dating in the modern era. And honestly, hearing this story about him, knowing his body of work when it comes to his show, Master of None, when it comes to his stand-up, pretty much centered on the quirks of dating today, it is not surprising that someone who has been outspokenly clueless about how to engage with women in a respectful way had an experience like this in which he unknowingly and perhaps unintentionally victimized this woman on what he thought was a normal first date, which was far from it. So what you just described about his body of work is exactly what Grace says compelled her to come forward with this story. She says, watching him on the Golden Globe stage, wearing a Time's Up pin, getting an award for a show that really centers him as a good guy, feminist ally, 
is what made her want to come forward. And to be clear, on Master of None, he does deal with issues of sexual harassment, sexual assault, gender power dynamics, and he does set himself up as a kind of feminist ally. And spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Master of None and don't want a plot point for that show spoiled for you, I'm going to talk about it. One of the plot points in season two is that Aziz is forced to stand up to his boss on a cooking television show because his boss has been outed as a serial sexual harasser. People on our crew have come up to me and said you've been inappropriate with them. What people? What are you talking? Women? Yes. So you're telling me none of this happened? None of this happened. I don't know, man. That's hard for me to buy. I mean, why would these people make it up? What do you mean, why, bro? What are you, naive? They want to get their 15 minutes, okay? They want money. So you can really see how we all bought into the idea of Aziz as a good guy, a nice guy, someone who is interested in talking about gender, talking about dating, talking about sex, and doing so in a way that highlights gender and power discrepancies. And that's what's hard about reconciling all of this, is how can someone who's so outspoken about his feminism have this kind of protocol on a date? Like, how can there be such a disconnect? And I also think that there's a lot of people who think the date she described is perfectly normal and expected, which is a whole other can of worms. So after the Babe.net story published, Ansari released a statement in which he acknowledged that they had engaged in sexual activity, which he said, quote, by all indications was completely consensual, but acknowledged that when he heard it wasn't, that, you know, when he got that text from her and realized it wasn't for her, he was, quote, surprised and concerned. So that's what went down. When we come back from this quick break, let's talk through the myriad of responses that took the internet by storm this week after this quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by China. The China brand provides premium disposable tableware to celebrate moments of togetherness. Yes, and right now that is more important than ever especially when we're all apart. So recently I had a group and we had a a socially distanced barbecue where the host drew out circles and chalk that were six feet apart and everyone showed up with their own chairs and beverages. And it was really convenient to have disposable products. And we we just had a a lovely conversation. Um, It was really fun. Yeah, and I'm with the disposable products. I know that the China brand provides durable and trusted products, which I have used before that let you enjoy every moment of the get-togethers and traditional or now not. And there are classic white products that can work for any gathering or cut crystal plates and cups when you want to make something a little extra special. Disposable tableware keeps things simple and cleanup easy. Chinet products are available wherever you buy groceries, including delivery or pickup. This episode of Stuff Mom Never Told You is brought to you by HelloFresh. Get fresh pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door with HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh lets you skip those trips to the grocery store and makes home cooking fun, easy, and affordable. And while we're under a quarantine, I will say HelloFresh has so many recipes. It's been wonderful because it gets me out of my rut and I'm able to try new recipes instead of my same old, same old. And they offer contactless delivery to your doorstep for easy home cooking with the family so you don't have to have those stressful meal planning and grocery store trips. Even better, HelloFresh's pre-portioned ingredients means there's less prep for you and less food waste. 
So if you're ready to try some of the delicious food from HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash MomStuff80 and use code MomStuff80 to get a total of $80 off, including free shipping on your first box. That's HelloFresh.com slash MomStuff80 and use code MomStuff80 to get a total of $80 off and free shipping on your first box. Additional restrictions apply. Please visit HelloFresh.com for more details. And we're back. And we just talked through the basic fundamental facts behind these new allegations that emerged this past week from an anonymous woman who's calling herself Grace uh, against Aziz Ansari. Now, the response to the Babe.net story is where the real story is on this front. And and what it says about the hashtag MeToo movement is more interesting to me than the initial piece itself. Absolutely. As you might imagine, critics were quick to respond to this piece. Writing at the New York Times, Bari Weiss wrote that the only thing Anzari was guilty of was, quote, not being a mind reader. She says, I'm apparently the victim of sexual assault. And if you're a sexually active woman in the 21st century, chances are you are too. That is what I learned from the, quote, expose of Aziz Ansari published last weekend by the feminist website Babe, arguably the worst thing that has happened to the Me Too movement since it began in October. It transforms what ought to be a movement for women's empowerment into an emblem for female helplessness. I have the weirdest reaction to that piece, which is I agree with almost everything that's been written about this. Like, I read the pieces that say... Grace was victimized, and I'm nodding in agreement. Like, yeah, that definitely was messed up, and that shouldn't have happened to her. And then I read a piece like this from Weiss saying, you know what, Grace, you had power. You had power in this stance. You had power to leave. You had the power to walk up and leave. The coercive actions that Harvey Weinstein was using are not even comparable to the kind of experience that you had on this date with Aziz Ansari. And I... I think it's a very gray area, but I understand this argument and I can, I can empathize maybe too much more than I'd like to, because I'd like to obviously just champion grace in this instance, but this is not the same. This is not the same use of power to coerce sexual activity from somebody. It's just grace should have spoken up. Grace, I wish she had been in a position to use her voice and say no and walk out and leave when it wasn't being listened to. Well, that's pretty much what Weiss says in this New York Times piece. She goes on to say, I'm a proud feminist, and this is what I thought while reading that article. If you were hanging out naked with a man, it's safe to assume he's going to try to have sex with you. If the failure to choose a Pinot Noir over a Pinot Grigio offends you, you can leave right then and there. If you don't like the way your date hustles through paying the check— you can say, I've had a lovely evening and I'm going home now. If you go home with them to discover he's a terrible kisser, say, I'm out. If you start to hook up and you don't like the way he smells or the way he talks or doesn't, end it. If he pressures you to do something you don't want to do, use a four-letter word, stand up on your own two feet, and walk out his door. And I get it, and I want that to happen, and I I want there to be more women who feel empowered to do that, which is a huge part of my entire career thus far. But I also remember what it's like to be coerced into sex. I was Grace. I think we've all been in Grace's shoes. I really think it's a universal experience, and that doesn't make it right. I'm almost thinking of Amber Rose, notably the woman pioneering the slut 
walk, right? And she said in an interview, sitting on a couch with a talk show host, if I am butt naked on your bed and I say no, that means no. Like that alone should be listened to and enthusiastic consent should be the baseline for sexual interactions of all kinds. But unfortunately, it isn't. It just isn't. And we aren't necessarily raising our men or even adolescent boys to understand that. So in the meantime, we women have to have power to stand up and walk out the door because only you can protect your body in that instance. I think that's definitely right. But I think that critiques like Weiss's obscure the fact that there is a power imbalance here. So even though this comedian is not her boss. He's famous. He's older than her. And I think that just highlighting the ways in which, yeah, he wasn't pinning her down or restraining her or making it so she couldn't get out of the door. But keep in mind, this is someone famous. Like, if I went back to someone yeah. famous's apartment, we can't say that our levels of power are the same. Yeah. And so I think what's always important is to keep in mind the various levels of power, who has power, who doesn't. And I think in this situation, he has more power than her. I'm not saying she's powerless, but I'm saying... That might explain why it might feel difficult to slap, you know, yeah. slap him across the face or to pretend like you're enjoying it or to, you know, not immediately call an Uber and leave when things get tense. I know. It's fraught. I've been in that instance. I feel like we've all been there. And I honestly feel like as a young woman, I didn't think I could do all of those things. Which, Absolutely. Which at the basis is being assertive about your bodily autonomy. But again, that's the whole trip, I think, is that it's not a personal problem. It's a, a wider it's a, yeah. cultural problem. Yeah. And so putting that all on Grace, saying, Grace, don't you know that you can just kick him in the balls and yeah. lead if, if things get out of hand? Why pretend like we live in a culture that has been feeding Grace messages that that's okay? Right. Look at our popular culture. How many times in, in movies that are billed as comedies is the joke supposed to be, oh, the guys violated the girl's consent because he was horny and that's okay. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Why pretend like we've all been raised in a society where it's totally cool for a woman to loudly say, no, I object to this on a date without things getting weird. Yeah. Well, things will get weird. That's the price we pay for not feeling like it was the worst night of our lives. So we got to get comfortable with it getting weird. But more importantly... Aziz should have known better. More importantly, men should f***ing know better. Like, this shouldn't be a position that so many of us can relate to because it shouldn't happen. And I wrote a long time ago on the website Roll Reboot that we have to eliminate the thrill of the chase mentality, that narrative that men are, you know, out for the night to hunt women, that men have to catch prey, that analogy that you have to sort of be a hunter about how you're going to get women in bed with you is so problematic for all of us. And I, I think the, the, the problem with this narrative that's spun out of control following the Babe article is that it's not clear cut her fault or his fault. I think the question that's putting Grace on blast in a lot of ways was her response of going public with this disproportionately punitive. Well, if you ask Caitlin Flanagan over at the Atlantic, she would say absolutely yes. She actually classified the babe.net piece as quote revenge porn. She writes, Grace wanted affection, kindness, attention. Perhaps she hoped to even become this famous man's girlfriend. He wasn't interested. What she felt afterward, rejected yet another time by yet another man, was regret. And what she did and the writer who told her story created was 3,000 words of revenge porn. Yeah, I don't even know. I don't know how to feel about that. I don't know if revenge porn is exactly what this is, but that's the ultimate question here. I'm curious to hear what our listeners think. 
I don't like this narrative of comparing victimhoods between Grace and I'm sorry. I'm uncomfortable with it, too. And that's what I see this narrative drifting so easily toward. On headline news, journalist Ashley Banfield had an open letter to Grace. And here's what she said. I'm sorry that you had a bad date. I have had a few myself. They stink. I am sure it must be really weighing on you. Um, it's hard being a victim. Very painful. Just ask anyone who's been on that end of crime and justice. I cover them every day. It's no picnic. But let's take a moment to reflect on what you claim was the worst night of your life, end quote. You had a bad date. Your date got overly amorous. After protesting his moves, you did not get up and leave right away. You continued to engage in the sexual encounter. By your own clear description, this was not a rape, nor was it a sexual assault. Your sexual encounter was unpleasant. It did not send you to the police. It did not affect your workplace or your ability to get a job. So I have to ask you, what exactly was your beef? So there's a lot going on in that clip. One thing I want to point out is that I'm not super comfortable with Banfield saying this is or is not sexual assault because we she wasn't there. I wasn't there. You weren't there. I found it kind of surprising that she would go on TV and emphatically declare what you experienced was not sexual assault. It was a bad date. It sounds like she could, like asked a couple attorneys to say, just based on this description, yeah, yay or nay, sexual assault. And again, like we have laws on the books, but those laws are being proven either applicable or lacking in court every day. Absolutely. And I also think kind of beyond that, I'm troubled by the idea that a journalist on TV would give an, like a pointed open letter to someone who anonymously came forward with a story where they feel they were sexually abused or yeah. went through a sexual assault. I think that sets a really weird precedent. Even if you think, oh, this didn't happen, she's being vindictive, whatever, whatever. I don't like the precedent that a journalist would go on TV and have a very severe finger-wagging session to someone who believes they were the victim of a traumatic crime. Yeah, two things on that. One, I think everyone went op-ed crazy. I think that's what this week has been about. And two, did you get the sense of, like, feminist waves crashing? Because I got this, oh, you overly sensitive special snowflake millennials. You know, we second-wave feminists know what real struggle is like when it comes to sexism at work. And basically, you don't know what real struggle is. However, there's a component to this where if I were the victim of a rape, if I were a sexual assault survivor and I read her story and she was conflating rape to her experience, the worst night of her life, I think part of what Ashley Banfield was actually doing there was standing up for what she considers real victims. Because I think a lot of victims would read, you know, this woman's anonymous story and say, you don't even have to deal with this in your own identity. You haven't come forward with this. This experience was bad, but you, you're claiming the mantle of victimhood and it's a bit of a stretch. I mean, from the perspective of someone who is truly and, and more severely victimized, I think Ashley deals with those stories every day. You know, she came down and condemned this anonymous, salacious report because it doesn't hold water compared to real struggle that's out there. And I, I'm not saying that that's something I necessarily agree with, but I understand where that sentiment and where all that anger comes from. Yeah. Well, first of all, Grace doesn't characterize what happened to her as rape. She does say that she feels that she was sexually assaulted. But I think that 
even that line of thinking that may be understandable that I think Banfield is probably getting caught up on, that line of thinking that says there are real victims and not real victims, I don't like at all because it's not a contest. And I think that oftentimes for women, we feel the need to talk about experiences that were traumatic for us in a way that emphasizes that it wasn't that bad or that it wasn't really a rape or in a way that minimizes what they actually meant for us. And so I think in terms of Grace's story, I think a lot of folks read that and they want to say, oh, that's not that bad. That's typical. That's how it is. Because it makes our own trauma and our own struggles feel more normal. If you don't want to have to talk about the fact that that bad date you went on in college was actually a sexual assault, reading Grace's story wherein she says, I came to realize I was assaulted, might be hard for you. You might actually be invested in her story not being a crime because it's so common. And if it's so common, that means I've been sexually assaulted, you've been sexually assaulted, we've all been sexually assaulted. And maybe that's true. And maybe that truth is really heavy. Yes. It's almost like this denial. Like, I can't accept that she's a real victim or I would be accepting that I and all of my friends are victims. And that I'm probably raising sexual predators right now. And that it it kind of collapses the entire the entire reality of gender dynamics and sexual dynamics and consent, and it makes it so much more real. It makes it so much more real because we're living it, we're steeped in it, we're bathed in it, we're breathing it in. It's not just this thing that happens on the news or that happens with famous guys we'll probably never meet, like Harvey Weinstein. It happens in dorm rooms. It happens on dates. Maybe it's happened to you. Maybe it'll happen to your daughter. Yeah, but where's the line? Isn't there a line? Like, is there a line somewhere and... It's just, I think the Me Too movement, was ba- this was bound to happen. Jill Filipovich wrote a great op-ed in The Guardian saying that it was just a matter of time until this movement was confronted with its peripheral. Like when, at what point would there be a story that pushed the envelope of she's gone too far, she's overstating it? And that's the debate we're having right now. I don't think Grace's story is it, but I think she's coming close enough to the to the edges of what we might consider assault to force a question upon all of us, which is what is too much? See, that's exactly why I think her story was so important because, listen, I think the Me Too movement has room for all of these stories. I think it's about stories where it's your boss and it's clearly wrong, it's clearly a crime. He's been a serial sexual harasser and he's intimidating you and making it so that you can't move up in your career and keeping you silent and all of that. I think that has obviously has a place in the Me Too movement. But I also think it's about these other situations that maybe aren't so stark and so black and white, where it's like, hey, if we're all talking about these very clear sex crimes, cool. But what about the fact that it's cool for a woman to go over to a man's house and for her to kind of express that she's not into it and for him to think it's fine to just keep pushing her? Maybe it's not rape. Maybe it's not Weinstein, but it's still not okay. And I think that this movement should be vast enough where we can have all kinds of nuanced conversations about how we think about consent and sex in 2018. I think that concept was pointed out so well in this Vox piece by Anna North. She writes, Perhaps what is especially threatening about Grace's story is that it involves a situation which many men can imagine themselves in. But this is a reason to discuss it more, not to sweep it under the rug. Listening to Grace doesn't mean deciding all men should go to prison or should lose their jobs. It does mean admitting that many men behave in exactly the ways our culture tells them to behave. It means asking men to recognize that and do better. And it means changing the culture so that badgering and pressuring women into sex is deplored, not endorsed. None of this will happen if we refuse to reckon with stories like Grace. 
I think we can all understand how Grace's story is basically forcing us as a nation to begin to define the parameters on what counts as sexual assault. But I almost feel like how this op-ed brigade went down was a missed opportunity. It was missing the opportunity for us to really have that national conversation and instead arguing over whether or not Grace was in the right or in the wrong. And same thing for Aziz. Yeah, I was really disappointed how many of these op-eds in the what you're calling the op-ed brigade, which I completely agree, <laughs> fell down along the lines of, was it a crime or was it not a crime? As if those are the only two binaries that we can talk about a sexual encounter along. Was it a crime? Nope, then nothing to see here. Or if it wasn't a crime, totally fine, no reason to talk about it. And I think what you just said is so important because it really underscores why it's imperative that these stories are dealt with with nuance and thoughtfulness and care. And as much as I'm so happy that Grace came forward and I'm so happy that she told her story because I do think it has a place in this movement, I do think that Babe.net and the reporter that broke the story did Grace a disservice. Because listen, people's sexual traumas are sensitive. You owe it to your sources to deal with them in a way that is responsible. And I do not feel like the story was responsibly handled. And after a quick break, we'll be joined by Jezebel Deputy Editor Julianne Escobedo-Shepard to discuss how this journalist missed the mark. This episode of Stuff I Never Told You is brought to you by Catan. This summer looks a lot different than most. We're staying at home for the most part, and many events we usually look forward to are canceled. We find ourselves looking for new activities to enjoy at home. Catan is a board game for three to four players ages 10 and up, although many younger kids can play with initial adult guidance. It's a great way to keep families engaged and off screens, even if it is just for a little while. And those opportunities are hard to come by. Unlike the roll your dice, move your mice games, this is a little different. What are your experiences? The first time I played Catan was at our office game night. And it was so fun. It was quick to pick up. It was easy. It was social. We made it really competitive because we're a competitive group, but you don't have to. And what I thought was just going to be a, a short game among friends turned into an epic game night that we shall remember forever. <laughs> hours we played. Hours. And uh, yes, I lost, but I had fun. You had fun. <laughs> well, obviously, it keeps you really social. And like you said, it is really easy to pick up, which is really nice right now. This year is the 25th anniversary of Catan. Get Catan at catanshop.com slash mom. Listeners of the podcast get 10% off the original base game Catan by using the promo code MOM at checkout. Offer not good on other Catan titles or merchandise. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. So we know, listeners, it's been rough for a lot of people out there, and we've been very open about our experiences with therapy and how it's been so helpful for us in the past and in the present. And because of that, we wanted to highlight a service that we think might be of help to you all, BetterHelp, which offers licensed online counselors who are trained to listen and to help. You can talk with your counselors in a private online environment at your own convenience from wherever you're comfortable. And BetterHelp counselors have expertise in a broad range of areas. They can give you access to help that might not be available in your area. And you just have to fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs and then get matched with a counselor in under 48 hours. BetterHelp is an affordable option and our listeners get 10% off your first month with a discount code MOMSTUFF. Get started today at BetterHelp.com slash MomStuff. That's BetterHelp.com slash MomStuff. Talk to a therapist online and get help. 
And we're back, just talking through the recent allegations against comedian Aziz Ansari. If you haven't been following them, they were broken earlier this week by the outlet Babe.net. And if you haven't heard of Babe.net, you probably aren't alone. They are a site aimed at women in their 20s. Started in May 2016, Babe.net creates content for college students and 20-somethings. The site is owned by Rupert Murdoch. Yes, the same Rupert Murdoch who owns Fox News Network, just to set a little context there. So after the firestorm that followed these allegations being published in Babe.net, honestly, something I don't think I've ever seen happen took place online. Earlier in the show, we played that headline news clip from Ashley Banfield eviscerating Grace and Katie Way, the Babe.net reporter who broke the story, saying that they had done a really terrible thing and a disservice to the entire Me Too movement. Well, earlier this week, that very same network invited the Babe.net reporter onto the show to discuss these allegations. Now, to be clear, Banfield had really dragged both Grace and this reporter on national television. So I do not fault this reporter for not being super excited to come on the show. But Emily, how did she respond? And so the latest chapter in this insane saga is the Babe.net reporter sent an email to Banfield's team that went completely off the rails, insulting the network, insulting Ashley, saying that she was, quote, someone I'm certain no one under the age of 45 has ever heard of, by the way. And then basically saying she could have talked to me, but instead she, quote, targeted a 23-year-old woman in one of the most vulnerable moments of her life, someone she's never f***ing met before for a little attention. Which, by the way, felt a little bit like doublespeak to me, because isn't that exactly what this reporter had done to that 23-year-old? But now she's yelling at Ashley Banfield for going on a tirade against the victim herself, the the Grace person. So basically, this Babe.net reporter is saying, I hope the ratings were worth it. I hope the 500 retweets on the single news write-up made that burgundy lipstick bad highlights second wave feminist has been feel relevant for a little while. Um... First of all, what? I like burgundy lipstick. What's wrong with burgundy lipstick? I mean, I guess we're old. That's what she's saying is that <laughs> I mean, we're, you're a, old if you like that. I, yeah, I'm a certified old hag for sure. But first of all, Ugh. the irony of insulting a woman's age and looks over these allegations. Yeah. Are- I mean, on top of the irony that this is a reporter who basically used this Aziz story to make her babe.net website that no one's ever heard of, by the way, to viral sensation is insulting the news anchor for being opportunistic. Like, no, that's not the person here who who is being exploitative of a victim. Sorry. Yeah, so I really was shocked by this email. And at the end of the day, it just left me feeling really, really sad for Grace. I felt like Grace's story was not being centered. I felt like this was a conversation to raise Babe.net's profile to, you know, this reporter obviously felt very personally invested in this story. And it just made me feel really, really sad for this person who'd made these allegations. Yeah, it sounds like the story got away from the actual what happened and became more about a journalistic angle, quite frankly. Totally. That's why it's so important for stories like this to be told with nuance and responsibility. And for more on that, we're joined in studio by deputy editor of Jezebel.com, Julianne Escobedo Shepard, who wrote an amazing Jezebel piece breaking down all of the ins and outs of why Babe.net's reporting on these allegations kind of fell flat. Julianne, we're so happy that you could be here with us today. 
Hi, Bridget. I'm so excited to be here with you. So in your must-read Jezebel piece, you pointed out some of the ways that Babe.net really almost did a disservice to Grace and these allegations. Can you talk about some of the biggest flaws you saw with their reporting? Yeah, I mean, so as an editor, I really wanted to just go in and rearrange it for one. But, um, well, I think one of my biggest issues was that it really put the details of what happened to Grace in such a way that it felt um, prurient and almost gawky. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I can see where that could possibly be even re-traumatizing to her or to anyone reading it. Obviously, you know, there's always a, there's a risk of that um, when you're reporting these pieces. But I think just the way that it read uh, sort of with some of the the seamier details of it um, felt very exploitive. And that was my main issue with it. It was very voyeuristic in how they laid out what happened down to screenshots of text message exchanges, right? Which felt journalistically unnecessary, didn't it? Right. And also, you know, I think they were using that as proof that they, you know, some sort of proof that they had it or, but there was, it wasn't actual proof, <laughs> you know? Um, we don't know. Obviously, screenshots are easy to doctor. And, um, you know, I think that there's more to be done as far as um, corroborating a story that I think that they did not do. Obviously, you know, I just want to preface this with I believe Grace and I believe that this happened. But, you know, you want to, as a journalist, protect your sources, especially in stories like these, um, which can be, you know, some of the most traumatic stories for your subjects. Um, and they just didn't do the amount of protection for her that I think this kind of journalism really requires. I couldn't agree more. I just left the entire thing just feeling really bad for Grace. And I remember, you know, this, this, all these allegations created this hotbed of Twitter chatter and Facebook chatter. And I'll never forget someone that I know and respect posting on social media about the detail that she includes in the story that Grace prefers white wine, but she didn't get to choose the kind of wine that she wanted. Aziz brought her red wine. And he said, oh, is Aziz having his entire career ruined because he didn't, didn't order the right kind of wine or that because, you know, and it almost seemed like including that detail made her story seem less believable, that she was just annoyed that he, you know, yeah. treated her badly on this date. Right. And it allowed readers to not focus on the more serious aspects of what she was saying happened. That and also I think the inclusion of the author's opinion of her outfit was completely egregious. And then also brings into question, you know, the idea that, we have to talk about what women are wearing um, in these cases, in cases of sexual assault. Like the fact that she even included that part, I think maybe she was trying to sort of push back on that idea, but it actually ended up sort of reinforcing it. <laughs> and even the editorial liberties of naming one of Aziz's moves as the, didn't they call it the claw? That felt like so unnecessary <laughs> that it just felt exploitative. And the whole piece felt like a grab for clicks, didn't it? Didn't it at the end of right. the day feel like, okay, this is a famous celebrity. We're going to hop on the hashtag bandwagon and do whatever we can in a really sloppy way, journalistically, to sensationalize this entire movement, which did not serve the broader movement. 
Right. And I mean, also, I have to say that, you know, the journalist who wrote this is very young. And so I think her editors really failed her as well um, by not protecting her, by giving her the tools um, to report. Because obviously, you know, it seemed like this was the first time she's ever done this kind of story. And, um, you know, this is she's just starting out in her career. So she's probably at risk also. And, you know, I feel like this is overall a huge failing of a male owned website of a lot of young women. So speaking of the writer, um, I was pretty troubled earlier this week to see an email that she wrote to uh, journalist Ashley Banfield on Headline News after being invited to come on the show to talk about the allegations. Now, to be clear, Banfield was very critical of both the Babe.net reporter and Grace for coming forward with these allegations. And so I completely understand why she might not be feeling the love for Ashley Banfield. She went on like a cable TV tirade against this piece. Correct. The host. Mm -hmm. Correct. Okay. Um, So I completely understand having a negative reaction to being invited on a show where you and your source have just been dragged. But I'm curious, what did you think of that email response? Well, I mean, to begin with, again, here is this writer, Katie Ways, in experience coming forth because, you know, I, I fully understand her being angry. I mean, Ashley Banfield was really... Um, searing in a, in a way that was, I found a little bit disturbing. Um, but she didn't write off the record. She should have, you know, from a journalist to another, she should have said, this email is off the record. And then you can say whatever you feel like saying. And, you know, Banfield would not be able to read it on air, but she didn't. And so, you know, she set herself up for failure from that point. And then also what she said, you know, obviously, I think, you know, I agree with her being angry, but then targeting her looks and targeting her age is just, you know, that is really disturbing to me as a person who considers myself a feminist because that's not fair. (laughs) You know, it's not fair game to go after someone's physical appearance or their age, which they cannot um, regulate. You know, they have no control over um, obviously going after her journalism is fair. So that really disturbed me too, because it sort of added to the narrative that Babe was just doing this story to make a name for itself. Speaking of reporters who do this kind of reporting and why it's so important to make sure that you're doing it with respect and thoughtfulness, I was pretty shocked to see the way that Babe.net was almost patting themselves on the back for breaking this story. They published a piece that was literally just a list of outlets that picked up their reporting that felt in very poor taste to me. Um, you also mentioned in your Jezebel piece how the Daily Beast piece on the allegations against T.J. Miller from the show Silicon Valley included this weird tweet where the writer was talking about, you know, how how proud he was of the story and all of that. I don't think I've ever quite seen anything like this where you have journalists and media outlets almost congratulating themselves for reporting on someone else's traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it either. And it is one of the most disturbing aspects to all of this, I feel. And I think it ties into what I wrote in my piece um, about how since um, Jody Cantor and Megan Tuohy broke the Weinstein story in the New York Times in October. I think sexual assault reporting has become a sort of prestige type of reporting where, um, because it's, you know, there's this 
outing of all these celebrities as predatory. Um, I think people are looking at the celebrity aspect of it more than the actual fact that women are, um, and men are being damaged. <laughs> and, you know, I think there are a lot of people who are just coming to this type of reporting and it takes a special light touch. You have to know how to do it so you don't re-traumatize your subjects and that you respect, um, you know, the gravity of the situation. And you also have to question why you're doing this story. Are you doing it because you want to change structure and change institutions and um, expose people who abuse power? Or are you doing it because you want, you know, a headline that has a famous person's name in it, you know? And that's what I think that the the sort of boasting points to it just seems like oh cool like give us a pulitzer for <laughs> reporting on tj miller or whatever yeah. it's it uh, it's so gross well it is a moment that's very modern by nature right in the era in which our commander in chief is tweeting because he says that's the way to directly communicate with the public in the era when mm-hmm. fake news is the label that's used by anyone who wants to disagree or discredit you, the importance of journalistic integrity has never been more salient in in an era where anyone can publish anything. Truly. I mean, that's the democracy of the Internet. And in your piece, you wrote perfectly here that we've missed an opportunity. You say, quote, there was potential with Grace's story. The conversations that followed could have given us a real shot at cracking away at the imbalanced sexual power structures that plague us. The power structures that tell us a man's desires are more significant than a woman's and that conditioned Grace not to slap a 34-year-old celebrity who she says took it too far. And I think that missed opportunity is a reminder of just how important it is for all of us in the Me Too movement, but especially those who are reporting on it, to do so responsibly. Yeah, I mean, the conversation that we should be having, and I think we're starting to have um, in the last day or so, it's so crazy that this piece was published like Saturday night, and it's not even been a week. Um, But I think the conversation that we should be having is about consent and about what these sorts of interactions between men and women in particular, but I don't think that they're necessarily confined to men and women, about what they say about power and expectation and traditional ideas of masculinity. And, um, you know, obviously what the the goal here is, I think, is to create a more equitable um, bottom line. But because of the way that the piece was reported, it allowed us to only focus on that and not and derailed the conversation. Yeah, just that describes so accurately my trajectory of feelings on this situation. When I first read the Babe.net piece, I thought, finally, we're having a conversation that goes beyond what we all know is awful, wherein someone very powerful and rich and famous like Harvey Weinstein wages a ten, like a 10 plus year campaign of sexual assaults, harassment and intimidation. And, you know, it was very obviously a wrong thing to do. It is a crime. Terrible, terrible. Finally, we're having that conversation, but also the conversation about interpersonal relations that are probably more pervasive. I'm talking about, you know, coercing someone into sex or pressuring somebody into sex or ignoring someone's nonverbal and verbal cues. So they're not into it to kind of wear them down. I think that 
in my experience, women are more likely to face the second kind of sexual misconduct and maybe not even think of it as sexual misconduct. And I was like, yes, we're finally having that conversation. But then when the conversation turned into what he did wasn't actually assault or babe.net is a terrible outlet, why did they include these details? Like we totally missed the opportunity to deal with what Grace lifted because of the way that was reported. Right. And, you know, I think Again, I think we are having starting to have this conversation because finally we've gotten a little bit past the reporting. Um, and one of the most important things to come out of it is the idea that all assault or harassment has to be legally actionable. Um, and I don't like the idea that just because um, someone did something that isn't a jailable offense doesn't mean that there's no imbalance of power. And again, I think that particularly millennial women right now are really pushing to renegotiate the interactions that we have. And I think it's super important. And I think that I'm so glad that Grace came forward with her story. I hope that, um, you know, she's doing okay, honestly, because the way people are reacting to it. But, um, you know, I think Actually, if we step back and step away from the poor reporting and step away from all the chatter about it, you know, I think this is a really important story. And, you know, it was very brave of her to come forward with it. Absolutely. I want to be 100% clear. I believe Grace, and I'm so happy that Grace came forward because I think it's an important part of the Me Too conversation. I just worry that Grace's experience is not being centered in the resulting conversation. Mm -hmm. One specific thing I'm curious about, as a journalist, I was surprised to find that this Babe.net reporter actually came to Grace to get her to tell her story and not the other way around. Is that typical in reporting these kinds of stories? Um, Not in my experience. Uh, With these sorts of stories, it's not like a typical you know, finding someone, finding sources, reporting out, you generally have to wait for your sources to come to you because, you know, how did they know to contact Grace? Did someone give them her name? And that's unethical to, for, you know, to out another person as a survivor of some sexual traumatic experience. Um, I think, you know, I understand wanting to report out these stories and wanting to, you know, putting your feelers out and being like, hey, if you know of anyone, tell them to come to me. But to, you know, I'm not sure how they did it, but I can't imagine ever cold emailing someone or cold calling someone and saying like, hey, I heard that you maybe had a traumatic sexual assault experience want to tell me about it um you know that's that's re-traumatizing and and it's also i feel um crosses an ethical and moral boundary in journalism so julianne what lessons do you think reporters and the media writ large should take away from babe.net's sort of failures in this instance Well, the DART Center has very specific guidelines as to how to sensitively report uh, these types of stories. And you can go to their website and download them and print them out and paste them to your wall if you print (laughs) things out still. Um, And, you know, 
a lot of it is is really just understanding that you're dealing with a probably traumatized person, um, but also that obviously you still have to do your job in journalism and and um, you know call the other person for comment and give them a reasonable amount of time to respond. Unless you're Harvey Weinstein and you know you you are I have a history of shutting down stories about you, but um, you know that's another thing. I think that. Babe's story would have had more credibility if they had given that Aziz a little bit longer to respond and hadn't published it on a Saturday night. I don't know. That's a whole other thing, though. I don't understand why they published it on a Saturday night. Anyway, um, but I think the media and journalists at large just should take away that it's not about them. Um, it's not about their career. It's not about making their outlets more prominent. It's not about getting awards. It's about the people who this happens to and ideally making a more just society. I'm fully of the belief that journalism should at its best um, and does have the capacity to change our culture and our laws and our society to be more equitable across the board. And that's what this is about. I could not agree more Well, I really, really thank you for being here today and helping us shed some light on this nuanced, complex issue, Julianne. Where can folks find out more about what you're up to and keep up with you? Well, you can go to Jezbell.com, where most of my writing appears. Um, Or you can follow me on Twitter at Johnita, J-A-W-N-I-T-A. Thanks so much for joining us and helping us break down how important it is that we, all of us, but really journalists especially, handle these hashtag me too movements with care so sminty listeners what do you think where do you fall on this entire story was aziz in the wrong i think most of us can agree on that but is it the system that's to blame how do we reconcile aziz's outspoken feminism with what went down according to grace how do you feel about the babe.net journalists handling of the story and the op-ed brigade that followed we want to hear from you. I'm also curious about your experiences with dating. Do you think the kind of thing that Grace says she went through is par for the course? Or is it something worse? Let us know. You can find us on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You, on Twitter at Mom Stuff Podcast, and as always, via email at momstuff at howstuffworks.com. Hi, I'm Allie Wentworth. How do I grow a teenager in a pandemic? Well, that's exactly what I want to find out. In my new podcast, Go Ask Allie, I'm asking experts to help me answer that question. For example, are quarantine teenage girls more apt to Instagram nude photos? Are they somehow going to end up on the dark web? Are teenagers getting ripped off by their new virtual education? And how do we deal with their overwhelming anxiety and uncertainty? And are they losing empathy? I'll be talking to experts and friends like my friend Brooke Shields. She'll reveal how her complicated sexual upbringing has influenced how she is as a mother to teenage girls. It's a new world, and how we raise these young humans in it determine our future. So let's share some real experiences with all new episodes releasing every other Thursday. Listen to Go Ask Allie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dear Young Rockers Season 2 is a raw, honest, strange, and entertaining story about finding yourself in your early 20s. 
and a lifelong relationship with music. It's hosted by me, Chelsea Arson, and is executive produced by Jake Brennan of Disgraceland. Dear Young Rocker comes to you from Double Elvis Productions and iHeartRadio. Listen to Dear Young Rocker on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.